Welcome back to Ghostly Talk. This is Scott L. This is Amber. Welcome back, Amber. Welcome. Yay. Yeah, that's right. I kind of been a little. Uh, well, you've been a, being a rock star. No, it's I've not. It's time of year no, for you to be no, a rock star. No, it's rock not. Amber's no, on the it's road. not. She's on no, the road. No, it's not. It's called so, I Had to Work, and I only had one single talk on last Tuesday. One. One library talk. You're in high demand at the library, though. One. One. Yeah. Yeah. Normally, I do do a lot of stuff during this time of year. But, but COVID. With, Cove, the Cove. But the Cove. Uh, it's not the happening. Ronda. And and in this library, they it's it um it was at Warren, Warren yeah, Civic Warren, Center. Warren, so well, that's where uh, I'll, I can let the cat out of the bag now with that. That's Warren, Michigan was where the old studio was at. Yeah, it's where the old condo was at that blew up. But <laughs> I get, I can't say it anymore. I the just the say old it, ghostly just, talk studio that blew up after it, the guy jumped out of the window yeah, and, and threw himself on the ground. Yeah, just, yeah, just the cops had to shoot him. I think we we talked. Did we yeah, talk about we that did. Uh, I don't remember what episode it was, but if well, you it had to have been around. No, dude, literally, go look, go so listen. literally October twenty fourth, twenty twenty. Of that's when that happened. That was the day, and today's what Tuesday. Yeah. Well, October twenty six. Well, twenty fourth. Did we have a leap year last year? I don't know. Or we have a leap remember. year this year? I don't know. Because it, yeah, it was because October twenty fourth. No, no, today's the twenty sixth, right? Uh, the twenty third. Yeah, no, 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 no. Actually, no, no. I'm, I'm totally wrong. Yeah, the 24th was Saturday of, of 2020. It was a Saturday, and that's the day that that thing happened. So, okay. yeah, well, literally two days ago, for us, that happened. Or yeah, so yeah, the kind of blow- anyway the it's the anniversary of the kind of blowing up. <laughs> the wind- Warren. Warren, their library, they still require masks, and so all the people sitting there had to wear masks. I didn't have to wear one as the speaker, but it was, I, yeah, that wouldn't work out. That wouldn't work out really great. Crap. So it was fine, though. There was 19 people, and there was one woman with a crying baby, which I was like, oh. It's like, I understand as like a single mom, or like, you're like, I just want to see this program, and I have this kid, and ugh. But, of Sorry. course, of course if you're, everyone. If you're a parent, your hobbies end right there. <laughs> I, uh, well, there, no more hobbies for you. For the Sorry. most part, there wasn't like an insurrection during the middle of the talk, yeah. and everyone just sort of would constantly, like, every once in a while, a couple of heads would whip back, you know, and stare. And I was like, oh, God, just whatever. Just ignore it. We it, a, it wasn't the worst disruption yeah. or noisiest kid I've ever had in one of my talks. So we had a pretty busy week last week. Yeah, it was busy. It was a very busy week. Busy. Um, there was something that was already planned and something that was unplanned. We'll start with the unplanned. Uh, Long story short, we've had we've had an insurrection of kittens. You just used that word again. Insurrection? That must be the word of the show. When, when did I say insurrection? I said it earlier. Oh, you, you said, said insurrection? Yeah. I didn't know you said the word insurrection. Yeah, you... um, insurrection of kittens have invaded around here. We have an issue. It's not a problem it's an necessarily. Invasion. It really is. It, it's not necessarily a huge issue. Basically, there we got, was a, we, got a, we we have feral cats around the neighborhood here, which most neighborhoods two, have. Yeah, n- most neighborhoods have this. There's at least two um, or three or four, and there was a couple that got together, and we found at six, least there was six. But six. I saw, see, I saw his number seven because there was a little black one. Yeah, and he's never been she or he never was found. Oh, poor thing. So maybe someone else found it. You never know, or it's just living its best life outside somewhere. Like whatever, I'm gonna be a street etiquette. So join a gang. Five so, of them, five of them, we, between me and our, and our, our neighbors here, uh, rescued five of them, three of them, no, I'm sorry, two of them went to the cat rescue that I volunteer for now, and three of them went to another cat rescue that we know they're cool with. The sixth one, 
Dun, dun, dun. Well, it was Monday night, and I it went outside to night. talk to my friend. Last Monday. Last and Monday. I heard a little sound. That would have been what? Let's, let's, let's put this in the context here. What? What day? What, what's the date on? That would have been the 18th of October. And I was all distracted talking to my cousin, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to let you go because I think I'm going to try and catch this cat. It's going to be cold tonight. This thing isn't really bolting from me. It doesn't seem like it's like full-on feral. So I tried to get it out. It just kind of stayed on the other side of the fence, yeah. like in our neighbor's yard. And eventually I came back out, I think, 40 minutes later or something, and it was in one of our, I think, the tomato tree just kind of hovering over in there. And I almost caught it, and then it went into the wood pile. Mm -hmm. And then there was no getting it. So then the next morning I went outside. It did eat the food, but must have retreated back into the wood pile. We built a little shelter for these cats. It didn't care about that. It was like, what do I do with that? So we, yeah, food and But then you went and sort of moved, because I, well, I went out and said, are you still here? Mew, mew. And I was like, oh, man, it's still here. And it's so cold that, oh. Yeah. So you moved some wood and somehow got the cat and got it into our carrier. I had to crawl through the mud. Well. It sucked. Then I thought you called someone who was going to come pick her up. That's a cat rescue. Yeah, we had another rescue coming to pick this one up. So then. Who was a female and we argued about that good and hard for a day and a half until we went to the vet with her. Uh, Go ahead. What? About the 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 sex of the the sex of the animal. Oh well, okay. I you don't know sometimes. Sometimes it can be tricky. No, you're just woke. So oh my god. Go ahead. Anyway, so then... We'll let the cat decide. <clears throat> oh, God. Okay. Go ahead. Don't be insensitive. I'm not being insensitive. So then you sent me a video while I was at work of the cat on your chest making biscuits and purring. And I was like, well, that's pretty, like, I we can't give it to anyone now. Yeah, we we got to keep yeah, it. We were, we were letting her hang it's out. It's making biscuits and it's purring and, she, and we just found it. Like, she, she turned into a parrot cat on me immediately. And it really likes Scott. Yeah, and um, that was last Monday, and I guess we decided that Monday. No, I, no, I, that was Tuesday. That, that was we decided. Tuesday. Yeah, as I yeah, I had to do something that night, and I yeah, I had to call the rescue back and say, look, don't come get her. She's staying with us. So we have another cat in here named Binks. Yeah, we, we named, named it her, Binks. And we we had after her, we took her, Pocus. Took her to the vet. The next day? Perfectly healthy. Perfectly healthy. 100% healthy. 100% healthy. No worms. She's no an adorable, mites, adorable nothing. little Russian blue. We'll make a post. Let's do, man, we'll actually do a, we could do a social what? media post. We got content? Content? We, we have content to show people. Ugh. We'll actually do a cool social media post and, and uh, or actually, actually just a post. I shouldn't call it. I sound like Larry. Cool Larry social King. media post. I'm going to make, we're going to make a post on the Facebook. <laughs> we're going to make a post on the YouTube. Uh, I mean, yeah, we'll make a cool post and we'll get show, send you a picture of our, our new little girl we have roaming around the house. Well, not really roaming around the house. She's kind of, uh, has to be on a certain lockdown right now, but she stays in my office with me while I'm working during the day. I think our other cat Rollins will just like chop her head off. Yeah, well, Rollins is not not yeah, ready for that Mr. yet. Mr. Mr. Rollins is not ready for her yet. We're get, it's going to take a while for I think for him to get used yeah. to her. But she's yeah. a sweet little girl, and she literally sleeps on my shoulder while I'm working in my office during the day. She did that for half the day. It was really, it's so heartwarming, but at the same time, it's like painful because you really can't move i don't want to move and wake her up you know i want her to be peaceful that's like when rollins takes up half the bed and i'm like crooked and weird and i'm like but he's so comfortable yeah I, but I, i'm yeah. not <laughs> but it don't matter because it's the cat right. the cat's more important their lives are more important than ours so that was the unplanned the planned for the last couple of months 
and I don't know how many of you people that listen to our show um, know that Amber and I have been an item for how many years now? Six, Three, 300? Six, 300 years. 100. We met in like 1842 or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's how, and actually Amber and I met. If it wasn't for Ghostly Talk with the old crew, me and Doug and Will and, and Bonnie and, and, and Christy and all those people. I was a people, listener. She was a listener. I was like, I'm going to get me that, that. Scott. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how many of you guys, oh, newer him. listeners, know that story, but that's that's the reason that Amber and I met was because of this show, which I always you know th- feel very blessed based on that. And I won't gush. That's all the gushing I'm going to do, okay, Amber? I promise. Yep. Uh, so we decided on the 23rd of this month, which was just three days ago, to finally tie the knot, and we did get married on John, the 23rd. John E.L. Tenney. John Tenney, yeah. Many yep. of you are familiar with. Yeah. Was our show. ordained minister he, yeah, of he, the afternoon. He married us, and he was very happy to do that. He did a fantastic job. And uh, There was not a dry eye in the backyard. Other enlightened souls were uh, the the presence of Steve Ward, yes. who showed up all the way from Marshall, and uh, Bill Konkoleski. Bonnie was here. Michigan MUFON. Bonnie came by. Um, but we really didn't have like some big party cause you know, COVID and we just didn't want to, we called it the formality. We just didn't want to make a big deal out we, of it. We got married under the apple tree in our backyard here. And we literally got married in the backyard. I was in Victorian drinks. morning outfit, like garb. And I had a hockey jersey. On. I don't even know why you had a hockey jersey on cause you don't like hockey. Cause well, that's a cool hockey jersey Pete had. Oh. I used to wear it years ago. Okay. It, do, it did say Area 51. It was a cool, yeah, it was cool. It, it, had, area an 50, it had an alien head on. It was but cool. Whatever. Uh, maybe we'll put a picture of that up too. Maybe. Can we, can we, maybe we'll make a, I don't know. There maybe we'll any... make another cool social media post on oh, the YouTube. Or another the, or good, the, some more content. On, on the Twitter. We'll, we'll do a thing know. on the Twitter. We'll yeah. I don't, yeah. no one really took any good photos, so. Yeah, it was just kind of, it was just, it happened so fast. Yeah. And, and I mean, I don't really care about that. I don't really well, care about that that much. You know what I, I care about? Yeah. I care about our guest tonight. Oh. Ooh. And so it is. What a fantastic Halloween time week. Yeah, and yeah. I was very, very, very thrilled to get back to the topic of just good old fashioned ghosts and hauntings and paranormal investigation. Yeah. Yeah. And when I was getting into reading about haunted places around the U.S. Uh, 20 years ago or so, I became obsessed with books like California ghosts, New York City ghosts, like just. I wanted to read about all the different places around the U.S. And so this new book that came out by Rich Newman, 200 Terrifying Places You Can Visit. And it's, well, it's called Passport to the Paranormal, Your Guide to Haunted Spots in America. And this thing is a solid, huge book. Came out by Llewellyn. They were nice enough to send us a copy. So I get to actually hold a physical book in my hand, not a PDF, which I appreciate. Thank you, Llewellyn. Mm. And this is one of those books that's great to buy if you can't stand sitting on the internet and clicking through a bunch of stupid paranormal sites that are clickbait with ad after ad after annoying ad, and you want to actually visit and go to places and spend the night at hotels but you or gotta go to read. restaurants. You got to read. Well, you have to read on the internet, too. Well, you- yeah, you have to read stupid You have to ads. put this in your hand and physically open it, which well, is yeah, more satisfying. People, it, it is. Just listen, listen to that. That's the sound of book pages. <laughs> Those are book pages. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, Rich was gracious enough to come on our show for this week, the yeah, Halloween well, week. What a great, and, what a great time um, we had. Talk about some of his experience experiences at these locations. Uh, and then, of course, we just nerd out about ghosts and all that fun stuff, whatever, yeah. you know, which is what we do. What we so do. a little bit about Rich. Rich Newman is the author of seven books, including The Ghost Hunter's Field Guide and Ghost Hunting for Beginners. He has made appearances on paranormal television programs around the world and has appeared multiple times on Coast to Coast AM. 
When he isn't traveling to haunted places, he can be found at his home outside Memphis, Tennessee, where he plays with his synthesizers and plots his next book. Rich can be contacted directly through his website at www.richnewman.us, which we will all have uh, all of his good stuff linked up on our site. So enjoy our Halloween episode with Rich Newman. about being interested in the paranormal especially like paranormal investigation is finding a way to explore it and finding a place to actually go so when marcus one of the publicists at llewellyn publishing sent me a box of books like check these guys out see if you're interested in any of these books the Mm -hmm. first book i looked at was rich newman's passport to the paranormal your Guide to Haunted Spots in America. And this is a massive book. I was going like, to say, it, 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 yeah, you, this is a chunky you book. You broke a sweat this pick, is picking that thing up, I yeah. noticed. And it's like almost 400 pages and wow. also has a great cover. Good job, Llewellyn. And <laughs> it features 200 terrifying places you can actually visit, which is something that a lot of people will appreciate because, like I said, you, you're interested in this and you're like, well, where do I go? You go to your cemetery at night and then you're busted by the cops because you're not supposed to be in there like after sundown. So anyway, we got Rich Newman on the show with us this weekend. This is going to be our Halloween week. So we get to finally talk about some ghosts and paranormal locations, haunted stuff, all the, all the good paranormal stuff well, yeah, you're, yeah. before Halloween. So thank you, Rich, for taking some time and joining us on the show this evening. Thanks for having me. So, Rich, when and how did you get interested in paranormal investigation and haunted locations? I'm interested in everyone's origin stories always. Well, I mean, I've always I'm, I'm one of these guys from the 90s that was always watching X-Files and Unexplained Mysteries. Yes. And, you know, my favorite show was Sightings. Yep. That's and great I always one. loved. That's uh, what's that? I loved that show. Oh, yeah, man. It was great, especially if you're into all the paranormal because they would do like a UFO story and then a ghost story and that kind of thing and skip around. Yeah. So I was always kind of looking around, you know, for things in my neighborhood you know, that I could go and check out, you know, for uh, ghosts and whatnot. And I just, I figured out uh, pretty quick that like I would buy these books of haunted places, but I couldn't go to any of them Mm -hmm. because it would be like private property or the place would already have been burned down and the article was written, you know, four years prior or Mm -hmm. something. And, or like you said, it's a cemetery or something and the cops come and they bust you and then you're standing there going, you know, saying, Hey, what are you doing out here? You know? Yep. And, uh, so I just, I, yeah, I just came out of the gate wanting to do like some books where I could just talk about haunted places we could actually visit. I think that was one of the things I know when we were, I know when I was starting out with my little ragtag group of friends, that was our biggest hurdle was just trying to find a place that was accessible. Uh, and I, I, like you mentioned, Amber, um, I think the cemetery is always the most obvious first place to visit. I will say the first, sem- the very first place we went to visit, we had two guys throw a bottle at us 
I don't know if I, did I ever told you about that, didn't I ever? Human, like we were walking through. The, we were no, we, no yeah, too. <laughs> we were walking through this cemetery. It was the first cemetery we ever went to ever doing this stuff. And there we smelled we smelled marijuana first off. I'm like, what? so these two guys came out there to smoke dope, right? Okay. And we saw them. I guess uh, we didn't. I didn't consider us catching them do anything. I didn't care less what you're doing. Even back then, uh, and we're like, we kind of just waved and said hello. And next thing I heard is a bottle whizzing over my head. And I was like, whoa, I think we should leave now. <laughs> and we got out of there. Hmm. Now, uh, that's obviously, you know, an uglier side of that. It's and it's a funny thing, too. I consider it pretty funny. But um, after that, that, I was like, well, I want to find places that are accessible. <laughs> yeah. And I also want to find places that are safe, too. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, this is, a, this is a really cool book, I think, based on that idea, Rich, because... Yeah, I think a lot of people, that's their biggest, that really is their biggest hurdle is like trying to find places to go explore this hobby, explore these ideas, Zach, correct? Oh, absolutely. And, and the thing of it too is, uh, this is actually my sixth book for Llewellyn mm-hmm. that's all about haunted places. And my first one that I wrote like 10 years ago was called The Ghost Hunter's Field Guide. And it had almost 1,100 places in it. Oh, wow. And uh, but but with that many locations, you know, you can't really write that much about it. They just get a little mini paragraph kind of blurb, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And when Llewellyn came at me last year and was like, hey, man, we're hitting, you know, like the 10th anniversary of Ghost Hunters Field Guide. What do you think about kind of doing like a, a version two? My first instinct was, you know, hey, well, let's, you know, let me cut the locations in half so we can just have more info and make it more like my my favorite spots instead of just a massive catalog of haunted places and it's kind of just where we ended up well yeah you can you can you can it sounds like you could you want to flesh it out a bit more too i think you mentioned 1100 places that's insanity i didn't even know there was that many places is that just in the u.s or is that globally it was all u.s but you know i mean i tried to get as much as i could from all 50 states and yeah and of course, I wanted to try to visit as many of the places personally as I could. Um, and when I wasn't able to do, you know, all of them, I would pretty much call out, you know, to local groups, you know, that ghost hunt in those areas. You know, like Alaska, for instance. Some of that's really hard to get to if you don't live in Alaska mm-hmm. and have the time to get to it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was calling on paranormal groups in Alaska and saying, "Hey, you know, what are some of your favorite spots around there? You know, that you actually get great activity at? And tell me about it." And that that ended up being just a great resource, you know, to track down a lot of these spots. I think that's a, that's been my biggest hurdle to trying to do a book project myself. Has that's one thing I said was okay if I want to do something, explore a certain thing with the paranormal. Let's just say ghost, for example, which I have. Um, my biggest problem was I wanted to go to every single location, and that's just really tough to do. I think and I mean, expensive. Well, yeah, unless <laughs> unless you're doing this as as a as a as a career, if you're just a writer for a career, uh, I don't think a lot of us can do that as a, as a full-time career. So it's tough to get there, but it sounds like you use, you use those resources and that's fantastic. So yeah, reached out to those people and got, and were able to record the stories that way. That's cool. Yeah. And well, and I also had uh, a really good opportunity that for the last three years uh, leading up to this book, I was working with uh, Fuji TV from Japan on a paranormal show they do called Nandacore Mystery. So they would basically take me along to all the haunted places. And I was like the token American, you know, on camera saying, you know, oh, here's the story of the Stanley Hotel and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So 
going with these guys really got to take me to a lot of the kind of the more pricey places that I might have balked at, you know, on my own. Mm-hmm. So that ended up being a really good deal, too. How did you get involved with a Japanese TV show? They actually they actually were using my Ghost Hunters Field Guide, oh. the first book, as like their Bible to like travel to haunted places in America. Okay. And then after they had done three or four different recordings and they were just using like a local sort of ghost hunting person for each spot, they just reached out to me and said, you know, hey, instead of us having to reach out to different people and stuff, you wrote this book. Why don't you just come with us on the on these trips? And I ended up doing like 40 episodes with them. Wow. So I think I read that the premise of the show was to kind of get an up-and-coming Japanese comedian or maybe some kind of celebrity and have them spend the night while being filmed in a haunted location. Am I correct on that? Yeah, it's, it's actually, it's pretty funny. They, um, you know, they approach everything kind of with a strange sense of humor kind of thing going on. And what they, what they typically do is, is they'll take a place like the Stanley hotel. They'll get like the most infamous room there. And then they'll have, uh, a Japanese actor or comedian or a musician or something like that. That's sort of up and coming. They'll fly them in under false pretenses and say oh, something okay. like, Hey, oh. yeah, there's this, there's this great beer fest and you're going to be like our spokesman at this beer fest. And they fly in thinking that's what they're doing. And then they stick them in this haunted room. And then we're sitting in another room watching them all night for ghostly stuff that happens and their reactions to it. <laughs> Was anybody that, was on that show ever upset that they were being watched all night without knowing it (laughs) by humans, not ghosts. (laughs) I think so. But you know, it's funny. They make sure to word the contract when they sign them that they're there to film the whole time. So that even though they're not aware, they're like, you know, being filmed in the room, then they realize and you know, an aftersight, Oh, maybe we shouldn't have signed that like that. (laughs) I wondered how they got away with that. When I was thinking about that, I was like, Ooh, like what if, you know, you're going to the bathroom where you, your pajamas are like just your birthday suit, right? <laughs> you just go to bed nude and like everyone's and watching. <laughs> yeah, and worse. Oh, we've seen it all. We've <laughs> seen it all. And they think it's hilarious. If somebody like walks out of the shower butt naked to the bed, you know, they'll blur, you know, the, the their bits. But yeah. <laughs> they think that's hilarious. They, they're just laughing their butts off when this is happening. How often would stuff that was paranormal related actually happened during filming. Cause we know like how hit or miss this kind of stuff can be when you're actually looking for it. But did you guys have good luck while filming? We had a handful of like really good, ones. there was always like little things, uh, you know, that happened with, you know, typical haunted stuff like bangs on the walls right. or like, you know, someone thinks they hear a voice or little stuff, but we had a few, like a handful of big things that happened too uh, at the uh, Crescent hotel in Theodora's room, you know, lights were turning on by themselves. The Japanese actor was so tired, he went straight into the room and went to sleep. And I guess it just pissed off the ghost because Theodora was like turning lamps on right beside the bed, opened up a door, was turning, just knocking things over, like all live on camera. And uh, at the uh, Limp Mansion in St. Louis, we had uh, the person's door open and a ball of light float into the room and hover at the end of the bed. Oh. Like not a not an orb, an actual glowing ball of light. Oh wow. Oh, that's uh, cool. And just a few things like that, yeah. The and that's kind of leads 
us up to where I wanted to talk uh, or what I wanted to talk about next with some of these locations in the book where you you visited and you you actually have had personal experiences at these locations, which there's a handful of them in this book. And I had to start with the 1886 Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, because we've been there for a paranormal conference a number of years ago, and it was one of our favorite places to stay and just kind of run around all night. We had the haunted room. I think we had, it was 218. Was it 218? I think it was 218. Uh, we had that one. Uh, we didn't stay there, but Sean and uh, Doug had yeah, that one. Yeah, they did, yeah, yeah. So we, we kind of had just run of the hotel. I don't remember it being very busy because I think it was in, like, what, mid-March or end of March? Well, the com- it was basically just the conference. It was, there was a conference going. We were we were there for a conference. Yeah, I don't feel like <clears> there was just regular guests there. but There wasn't that many. It was just, it was just us, all of us nerds. It's just such a cool hotel. Like in the Ozarks, it's there's a if you don't know what it looks like, Google it because it's Eureka just Springs. it's got yeah. a cool just old look to it. It has this creepy history of in the 30s this guy buying it and uh, what was his name Norman Baker, and he ends up opening up like a fake cancer center and starts treating people who like just of course die because he's not helping them. And who knows what haunts this place, because hotels obviously are notoriously haunted, but I love that this was in here. And, Rich, you had a really cool experience also, other than the TV show experience. Would you mind sharing that? Oh, sure. Yeah, I I love that place, too. And since I live in Memphis, it's really not that far drive for me. So I've uh, been over there a few times. Um, I did stay in Michael's room that you just mentioned. And when I stayed in there... Uh, basically just kept getting woken up because the insides of the room, they have these shutters that are kind of like on the inside of the window Mm -hmm. and you can close it to block the light. And something just kept slamming these shutters into the wall so loud. It would just snap you awake instantly. And it just happened over and over and over again. So that probably is the most annoying ghost that I've ever encountered. (laughs) Uh, and I just told you about Theodora's room, but I think the coolest thing that ever had happened there was actually, um, it was right after Taps had visited there and shot their episode at the Crescent Hotel. And I was speaking to the uh, owner at the time of the Crescent, and she invited me out and gave me a free room and said, hey, just come and hang out because there's practically no one staying at the hotel and you can have the run of the place. So I went out there and she was right. It was it, it reminded me more of The Shining than the Stanley Hotel did <laughs> because it was it was winter. It was abandoned. There was like five or six people staying in the place. And I went up to the bar and I was the only one in there. So I was just sitting there with the bartender having a drink, talking about the ghost stories. And I got up to walk to the bathroom and I was going down the empty hallway. And just as I was coming out of the restroom, I glanced over and there was this guy just standing there looking at me. And I took about four more steps and I realized that guy looked really weird because he had kind of a trench coat on and he was just standing like almost like a cardboard cutout, like really stock still. So I just backed up and looked down the hall and it was gone. Mm. And when I got to the bar, the bartender looked at me and he said, what happened, man? What happened? I can tell him the look on your face. <laughs> so the bartender, they they have to be used to this kind of stuff a little bit. Where I think so, yeah. yeah. I think they're just like shell-shocked. They get so much reports and stuff like that there. And I, I love that. I love places, and I've said this on our show before a, a million times, and I'll continue to say it. I love 
historic places that embrace their paranormal history and things that happen. They don't just kind of shy away from it or don't want to talk about it or don't use it to their advantage to get people to come in. And and it's a whole separate tourism industry, yeah. a whole separate niche interest group of people that can come in and spend money at your location or take your tour uh, or participate in whatever well, it is you're doing. And I and I yeah. love when places embrace that. I mean, that's good to say, but I also want to point out that we've pointed this out before on this on this show. Um, I do. I mean, I'm equally with you on that, Amber. I, I love show, uh, places that do embrace their history. Um, if it's documented, well, <laughs> or if yeah. it's documented as best as it can be. Yeah, yeah, right? exactly. Um, and, and that's, you know, I, I call it manufacturing a haunt. You know, I mean, I, we see, I've been seeing more and more of that. There's plenty of places you can go to, and you know this also, Rich, that do have a somewhat documented history of of what may have happened there that may have caused it to be haunted. Do you follow what I'm saying, Rich? Oh, for sure. And I mean, and we encounter the whole rainbow of this and that. I mean, I remember when I was doing the first book, you know, some hotels, they would have such a well-known ghost story. But when I would actually call and speak to the manager or the owner, like I'd have a few of them just say, there are no spirits here except the Lord. Bye. <laughs> hang up on me. Whoa. You know? Yep. Well, at least they're being honest about that too. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> and, you know, and then I, and then I would encounter places, you know, that just have, you know, this bare bones, generic ghost story with no facts to back it up whatsoever, but they really wanted to get in, you know, on the paranormal tourism racket, yeah. you know? Oh, well, that's what I'm, that's what, yeah, I know. That's what you're referring so to. So slyly alluding to yeah. is, and I call it, I call it manufacturing a haunt, basically. <laughs> For uh, sure. I mean, and not to go, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole on that, but it's something that's definitely out there. And I've just seen it too many times now where I'm like, oh, I, I, what, there's this, I, oh, this old dilapidated building in Detroit. All of a sudden they're doing tours and they're saying it was, it, we've seen it a few times now. And I'm like, and it's obviously our area is Detroit here. Um, and I've seen a lot of these buildings, for example, and they're just old buildings, but they're old and they look creepy because they're old and they look creepy. <laughs> and, right. So, and some people and they're 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 doing tours. So, yeah, that is something that kind of scares me. But, you know, I mean, obviously, the places you've went to, I mean, and have, we really haven't we've we've mentioned the Stanley Hotel. Right. Um, sure. But you've actually you've, you've obviously been there. Also, you've been to room 217. Can you tell us about that? Oh, sure. Well, it's interesting because when we got to the Stanley with Fuji TV, that room wasn't available. And then we were actually had already selected another room to do, you know, 217 is not obviously it's not the only haunted room in the Stanley, mm -hmm. but it's the most popular thanks to Stephen King. So, mm -hmm. you know, everybody's trying to get in that room because they're Stephen King fans mostly. But like the hotel staff was like, you know, the, that whole second floor is pretty much haunted just pick a different room, you know? <laughs> and so we had already picked out this, this other room and set it up with cameras and everything for shooting. And the concierge comes running up and saying, Hey, we had a cancellation on, you know, 217. If somebody still wants that. And I was like, me, 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 me. <laughs> <laughs> and so the, the Japanese folks were kind enough to say, cause it's, it's a pricey room. It's like three times the cost of the others. I was going to say, oh, did, they, wow. did, did they, did they charge a premium on that room? And that sounds like they do. Oh, you bet you oh, they they're do. so sly. I mean, it's smart. Oh, yes. It's smart. And you know it's probably booked like a year and a half or more like ahead. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, hey, you know, it's supply and oh, demand. Sure. It's supply and demand, I guess. You can't really argue with it. Yeah. 
So all right, you got for sure. Well, and, well, and, and everybody knows the story, you know, that Stephen King stayed there in the winter with his wife Tabitha, and this was sort of before you know the Stanley had this haunted reputation. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of run down, and it was winter time, and they were there with nobody really there, and apparently they had a supernatural experience in that particular room that inspired Stephen King to write The Shining. Well, he's never told anyone what happened in that room, you know, what, what scared him. And when I stayed in that room, I had a funny experience because it was late. We had been shooting. So it was about two in the morning when I got there. And I just basically went in, dropped my stuff and just crawled. You know how that goes after a long day of shooting. You just mm-hmm. went in and just crawled in the bed and went to sleep. And then I woke up about 20 minutes later um, hearing a female voice in the room. And so I kind of sat up and looked around and there was nothing there. Nothing had changed as far as, as I could tell. Um, and then I went back to sleep and then I, I woke up a second time. But this time when I woke up, I heard like a woman's laugh, like really close to me. Okay. And the bathroom light was on. And so I'm, you know, the part of me that loves the shinings thinking, mm-hmm. oh man, am I am I about to walk in this bathroom and there's gonna be like a dead woman in the tub? It's a creepy you know? scene. Can I try to hug you? Ugh. Ugh. Exactly. <laughs> I won't fall for that. I won't fall for the jack trick. No, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I go to the bathroom and there's nothing in there, but the light has been turned on and my uh couple of my personal belongings were lying in the floor. Yeah. I think you read like um, your toothpaste was on the ground. Right. Like the ghost is that and, and that and that's it. That's like that's what paranormal stuff ends up being. Like your toothpaste just gets slapped <laughs> under the ground. <laughs> it's it's never like I, know, it's and I love I love that. <laughs> I love that it's so and it's so it's almost always something small like that, isn't it? I yeah. mean like you know, it still means something, you know, that it's the toothpaste has somehow moved from a counter to, you know, the middle of the floor. You know, but it doesn't quite have that punch, you know, of the dead corpse rising out of the bathtub to give me a hug. Exactly. (laughs) It's and that is the funny part about it, because if you were to obviously if so, the horror movies, horror movies, anything out there, it's going to put the hook. They exaggerate, you know, what's going on with the paranormal (laughs) ghosts, haunted places as a whole. But if you were to be filming that night and actually saw your toothpaste just go, to the ground on its own, nothing there. I mean, that is just, that should be just as mysterious to anybody as to how it did that, uh, even though it just sounds like the most mundane, stupid thing ever. Well, and it's all about the subtleties, I think. Yeah, too. we've always said that it's all about the subtleties in these things. And I think the likelihood of you like laying in bed and seeing some full bite apparition come out of the floor and say hi to you and then go boo or something like that is very unlikely. I think. A lot of this is the subtleties you're talking about. Uh, that, well, you both were talking about, like toothpaste falling yeah. on the floor. Yeah. Or like. Well, sure, and it, it does make you also wonder, you know, with Stephen King, what happened? You know, I mean, my thing is, you know, I seen some. You know, the bathroom light came on. I did hear a female voice. You know, did he actually see a female apparition? Right. And in the bathroom, maybe even, and you know, because he did write that particular sort of scene in The Shining. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just makes me wonder a little bit, you know, he won't tell, but I, you know, I really have a feeling that they had some kind of an encounter with that same I would say what, female spirit. Yeah, what, in, what really inspired that? Yeah, that would be cool and if he what, admitted it Because uh, artistically, the scene you're talking about, um, 
that's still freaky today. It is. I mean, that movie's still freaky today. The whole thing is in, it's, it's insane. That scene especially is very disturbing on a lot of different levels. Um, and if that, that makes me ask that question also, like, where did that come from? You know, how were they able to, you know, sometimes the most disturbing things are not, you know, they, they just come from your head like that. I mean, they're things that are beyond your control, I guess. You, you follow what I'm saying, Rich? I, 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 I think that's how you explain it, Amber. I, am I explaining this right? <laughs> sure, I yeah. What the hell I'm talking yeah. about. I mean, nothing's right. Yeah, really. And I mean, we are talking about Stephen King, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who's eccentric in his own right. The original Springs Hotel, and I'm going to totally slide. I can't wait. Ocaville, Illinois. I think I got it right. Yeah, I think it's right. Did I get, is it, did I get it right, Richard? Rich? Yeah, that's right. Aqu- okay, Aquaville, the original Springs Hotel. <laughs> Tell us about that I, one, I want to know more. Yeah, I want to know more. This That's a really cool hotel, man, and it's like really close to St. Louis. So a lot of people, you know, they say, where the heck is Oakville? But, you know, basically when you cross to Illinois from St. Louis, you're already about 20 minutes from Oakville. So it's it's just a real easy jump from St. Louis. Okay. Um, it, you know, it's a really strange hotel. They've got this really dark history of uh, different managers and owners ending up dead of strange circumstances. Uh, one of them was even found just sitting in the hallway on the floor dead. Mm. Like, like they had just Expired. decided to sit down and die. Oh. They could, they, <laughs> and um, they've been on a couple of different, uh, you know, the popular ghost hunting shows kind of talking about this sort of curse that's on the uh, managers there. I think they might've been on ghost hunters, but um, they have a very active female spirit that loves to hang out around a swimming pool. That's right in the middle. And we had just this great night. You know, you have one of the, you know how you have a lot of investigations where you have a lot of sitting around. There's not much going on. And then you get back home and then you've got what? Hmm. Six audio recorders with like eight hours of audio to listen to. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you come out and you've got a couple of sketchy EVPs, you know, (laughs) that you're pretty sure could be pretty good. You know? Yeah. And then you have nights like we have at Oakville where you're, you spend three straight hours playing tag with a ghost using EMF detectors, uh, getting responses like, hey, come over here if you want to say yes and make this thing light up. And, they, and it just it does it on video. And, yeah, it was just such an active spirit that they had there that it's become like one of my spots to tell beginning ghost hunting group. You know, if they want to go to a inexpensive, easy access Great place to go for get some good uh, ghost hunting experience and get some evidence. You know, go go to the original springs. Do they support their ghosts there? They do. Like I said, I think they were they've been on several ghost hunting okay. shows. You know, they're they're pretty. It's a pretty humble. You know, almost more like a a big B and B than than a small hotel. Okay. Um, and the current manager slash owner. She had a very spooky experience where she thought she was dying in the uh, hotel. And I think that's what prompted ghost hunters. I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was ghost hunters. Nobody, you know, sue me if I'm wrong on this, but I think it was ghost hunters, but that went there and was kind of talking to her about this sort of idea of a curse being on the owner of the property. And I think it was the owner's daughter was saying that, uh, you know, she was, she was worried about her parent just because of all these, owners who had ended up dead on the premises and that kind of thing. But 
thankfully, I don't think we've ever ran into anything dark there. And the female spirit that loves to play with the EMF detectors and leave EVPs is, is pretty easy going. Do you feel like you've ever run into anything that you would consider on the darker side during your investigations? I've definitely ran into stuff that just seems, you know, flat out spooky. But, it, you know, it, the longer that you do like this ghost hunting thing and the more kind of accustomed you get to being in spooky places, I think it, it becomes harder to parse, you know, when you're just, you know, the circumstances of the moment it caught you off guard. So it was spookier than it really was. Yep. Or if the spirit there is just actually malevolent and it's kind of being a bad guy, you know, kind of thing. Right. I, I agree with you on that. I, I, th- I feel like at so many of the big places that we've gone to over the years, like when you're in places uh, like Waverly Hills or something and you're with like a huge amount of people and you're walking around in these little groups and there's always like that, like two people just freaking out the entire time. And you know that they're right. just working themselves up so bad that no matter what happens, they're convinced they're being touched. They're convinced they're seeing something, hearing something. They smell something, which I, you hate to say that, well, okay, they're making it up or whatever. But you, I think other humans can kind of tell when someone's just getting a little a little overheated and excited. And so it's, yeah, I can see where that gets kind of hard to sort of separate sometimes. Well, we had uh... – a case of a few years back where we were working with a nonprofit in Mississippi um, at this living museum home called the Deason house. Um, Amos Deason was actually murdered in this house by a, uh, a Confederate who is, who is basically a deserter from the Confederate army. They actually made a, a movie about it called the free state of Jones. Oh, okay. Yeah. With uh, McConaughey, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, so that guy who's actually McConaughey plays Jones went into this house and killed Amos Deason. Okay. Um, in this house, and the house has been haunted. You know, we're talking all the way back to the Civil War. Plus, they used this house, you know, as a makeshift, the old hospital for you know for different skirmishes that were happening around Mississippi, and just you know a lot of sort of darkish things have happened, you know, in this old house. And we were helping this nonprofit out. Um, because they, you know, they were struggling for money and having a really good history slash ghost tour ended up being a very good way for them to get some money, some revenue going through the place. And we were there to spend the night and just sort of investigate. And while I was by myself in the house setting up some lights, you know how when you're in a pitch dark room and you're trying to plug something in, you can't get it to go in the dang socket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm bent over trying to plug a light in. And I just hear, it sounds like somebody cups their hands around my ear and just kind of goes, <laughs> and so the, the context <laughs> of standing in the dark, unable to plug a lamp in and having that happen, mm. you know, my hair just kind of stood on end. Yeah. Know? No, I, that, that no freaked fun. me out. No fun. No, no. Especially like something <laughs> I'd be cupping done, your I'd be, ears. I'd be done for the night. Like, oh, oh. weird. Weird experience. Like, no. Nah. fondled yeah. or something. <laughs> I, I don't know what happened. I don't, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I, I got touched somehow. Oh, great. You know. There was, and that, I don't know what it was about the entity in that house, but like you're talking about encountering scary entities or, you know, it's hard to say malevolent, but I've definitely say I've ran into some scary ones. Mm-hmm. And, I was already sort of startled from that, but then that night ended up being a very active investigation. And then me and my buddy were staying in our sleeping bags in this museum in that room. 
And I like to take the little EMF detectors that sort of like blink a light and beep when anything is kind of coming near you, almost like an alarm. Yeah. And we had one of those sitting kind of on the other side of this pitch black room and it would just start going off and you'd lean up in your sleeping bag and look over there and you could see there was just that area of like a black mass that's darker than the dark. Yeah. Yeah. Just sitting there, you know, like it's watching you sleep. Yeah. Yeah. And that was pretty disconcerting. Yeah. And I, I love that you just described uh, a shadow person darker than dark because that's the that's the exact like person, phrase yeah. I always use when I'm trying to describe this to people who have maybe never experienced this or seen it when I when I give presentations and I'm just at like a very innocent library, <laughs> like library talk. And I always talk about that because that's one of the few things I've seen in my life where we've, we've witnessed a, a shadow person. And, and that was like the only way I've ever been able to describe it. I mean, it didn't have like it had a form of like a human for sure. But still, there's just that there's a density even in the pitch black darkness to it, which is just wild. It's it's trippy. It is, and when you and when you, if you catch a glimpse of any during the daytime, it's almost like the entity itself is almost like a swirling mass. Oh, weird! You can almost see like swirls of of black and darker black kind of intermingling in it. Oh, I've never seen. If that makes any sense, I've never. Yeah, I've never seen anything during the day. Uh, Where were you somewhere specific that during the day that you've encountered this at? These during the day. Oh, yes. Um, actually, there's a, a nonprofit house here in Memphis called the Woodruff Fontaine House that's known for a pretty famous benevolent spirit named uh, Molly, who, who died in this Victorian home. And we were there working down in the basement and something kept hitting one of the piano keys. And I, I was like, you know, I'm going to walk over there and just put an audio recorder on the piano and just just in case we get like, you know, an EVP or a disembodied voice or something. And I turned to walk over to that piano. And as soon as I walked around the corner, there was this weird swirling black figure just standing across the room by the doorway. But it was no taller than maybe maybe four and a half feet tall. Oh, weird. But it was so dark. I mean, you couldn't see through it at all. And this was complete daylight. So, I mean, it was it was dense enough that you could see no light at all behind it. Oh, that's trippy. Did anyone, were you the only one that encountered it? Did anyone else see it at the same time? Oh, no, no. I'm, I'm, well, other people have seen it, but okay. at that particular second, no. Because as soon as I saw it, it startled me and I kind of took a step back, but like literally right in front of your face, it just, it's gone. Oh. And the people like say, like, how, how's it gone? Like, do you see it sort of dissipate away? No, it's just like one second it's there and then the next it's just not. Oh, that's wild. I love that story because that's just not something you hear about often is and, and well, and a lot of people don't obviously go ghost hunting during the day or have all these alleged experiences during the day because I I always joke that it's only ghost hunters that come out at night because I think this stuff is around all the time, but it's harder for us to experience maybe during the day because of the type of form that manifests or like you said like it that could be a shadow person that we see as that darker than dark at night but then in the daylight that's how it manifests or that's how our our own eyesight uh perceives it and we know like even animal other animals on this planet see things at a totally different light spectrum than we do mm. so that's like oh well that's gonna be our limit yeah i think we do better at night when we're trying to target like the ir and uv spectrums kind of thing mm-hmm. um but, you know, to flip the script, 
you know, a dark shadow mass or black, or, you know, however you shadow people, black mass, however you want to phrase it, was going to be much harder to see in a dark room, especially with your naked eye. Um, whereas that, you know, during the daytime, it's a lot easier to see that particular thing. Yeah. Um, I remember we did a ghost hunting class at a wonderful nonprofit in Arkansas called the Allen House. In fact, uh, the owner of the Allen House, he wrote a fantastic book for Llewellyn, too, called um, A Haunted Ghost Story. Um, about mm-hmm. uh, the woman who lived there and her 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 uh, or is it haunted love story? I think it's haunted a haunted love, love story because I think I yeah yeah. And uh, he wrote the haunted love story about the spirit in his house called the Allen House in Monticello, Arkansas. And we had gone there and done a ghost hunting class, and I was literally in my car driving back to Memphis, and I get a text from him saying, "Oh my God, you're not going to believe what happened, man! Just right after you guys left." But he has in this house this wonderful art collection. And of all the people that have a ghost encounter, he had a bus of nuns, nuns <laughs> come to the house. <laughs> and they're walking around in their habits and they're taking photos of all these wonderful pieces of art on the wall. And one of the nuns look over and there's this short, like five foot tall, black swirling mass just standing in the doorway looking at her. Oh, my God. And she, so she literally just takes her camera, which was already pointed at the art in front of her, moves it to the left and snaps a photo of it and then immediately runs and shows the owner and I guess her, uh, whoever's in charge of the nuns. And they, they were just completely freaked out. So they left, but he was very excited and he sent me a copy of the photo and it was crazy. Oh my God. I can't believe she actually got a photo, like something appeared. That is so trippy. Is, I would have just expected her to like make the sign of the cross scream and run or something but <laughs> she actually took a photo i love it <laughs> and none did that too apparently <laughs> <laughs> you know well we were talking about the daytime versus the nighttime also and one thing i want to point out about that um i think one of the problems we have with the daytime is i i've seen a lot of photos that have claimed to be spirit photography or, or a picture of a ghost or an entity uh and a lot of times they're uh a street scene or whatever it might be where there may be a handful of other people on the scene and there's just this other, other person there, or it's a group of people that are posing for a picture and we, the classic, you know, you know, just show up in, in a picture where you have a group of people and they're like, well, that person wasn't there when we shot the photo. Um, it's you got, you guys have me thinking about this and it seems like it's hard. It's just harder to pick up people during the day. Or I should, well, I should say, I mean, not narrow it down to that. I guess you just, like you guys were saying, it's more on the light spectrum. It's easier to see these things maybe at nighttime. Maybe. Or, or maybe, because some of the most compelling stories I've heard when it comes to people having experiences, they were like like Tamara Thorne, my one I love telling about Tamara Thorne, the person that walked in the bathroom and never came back out again. And that was during mm-hmm. the day, Yeah. right? Um, so, I mean... I mean, I think both of them are equal. Both, both. There's only night and day, literally. Well, yeah, they're both as compelling. But I think it's just maybe it is just our eyes. Well, and even people. Rich earlier in the show mentioned at the Crescent that he's in broad daylight, mm-hmm. goes to the bathroom, comes back, and there's this guy standing there. And you know, next minute, what you turned around and he was gone again. So, yeah, and yeah. that's you know your classic full blown apparition. Yeah. yeah. Which I'm jealous of. That isn't in a. I want to see dim, that bad. You know, dark hall, you know, somewhere dark. Yeah, and that's the that's the whole point. Uh, yeah, that's very. But I, you know what? Go but ahead. I even wondered though if that 
qualifies as a full-bodied apparition because for me, I don't know why I always parse, you know, if an apparition is actually moving or something, then maybe that is like the soul of a person. But I wonder if I saw almost more like, you know, like a snapshot caught in time kind right, of Right, like a residual type thing. You know, thing. it was like just this moment in time yep. where that dude was standing there. Yeah, and for yeah. whatever reason, I just happened to see it at that second, you yep, know? Yep, I, I, and that's one of the most interesting things in the paranormal to me is how often I wonder when, when people report things like this, especially of a historical nature, like everyone will say, oh, a Civil War soldier, oh, someone in Victorian dress. How often are you actually just looking back in time for one lucky second rather than seeing just the you know a dead person whose consciousness is still there you're actually your eyes turn into a time machine for a hot second they're delorean eyes and you're looking back in time and i think that is just that's so like awesome and mysterious uh more so than just the, our classic idea of ghosts than anything that it's just it that's one of the things that always keeps me interested is that that just concepts like that alone mm-hmm well, sure. And I mean, and there's a reason why we, you know, always talk about the differences between an intelligent haunting and a residual haunting. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there has to be more to that than just, you know, whether it's, you know, actually walking around the house and doing stuff, you know. Well, um, and I, so I think you can have the residual kind of thing happening visually, too, you know. Yeah. And I think there's there. Well, you said intelligent haunting. Um my thing would be too is that that it actually recognize. I guess the the weird question I would ask with that that I do think about is an intelligent haunting of this sort. I mean, does it know where it is, he or she? Let's say I've heard we've talked about this idea a bunch of times on here. Is you know some people truly believe, and I and I, I love their ideas on this. They truly believe that these are not you know. And I and even I say like it, right. Uh, well, what? So, you're, if you're a, if you're a woman and you die, and you go in spirit, are you still a woman? I mean, why wouldn't you be a woman? I guess logically, it seems like you'd be a woman. So, you know, all of a sudden you change into this weird, creepy form, or now we call it it. <laughs> <laughs> it don't make a whole lot of sense, but at the same time, none of this makes any sense. None of it. We don't really have any answers. Uh, but is there? If there's an intelligence, if it, if if he or she knows who they are. Uh, those are the questions I ask about these things. And I mean, who, who knows we'll ever get those answers, to be honest with you. Yeah, I guess I guess I always think the uh, for me, the hallmark of a real of, 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 of an intelligent ghost is whether or not it's being interactive with you in real time. You know, if, if you're getting real time responses and answers to questions and things like that, that's to me is kind of like the more, you know, the key quality to an intelligent yeah, and how and how many times um, have we really heard about that? I mean, really in history, how many stories oh, right. are really out there? I'm not saying there well, are. Sure. Any. Well, and, and there are. And well, well, and you and you guys know this too. But I mean, in 99 times out of 100, anyway, most of the people that get evidence find out about it after the fact, yep. and it's EVPs that were found on a recorder somewhere yep. or something, you know. Yep. Um, but the other, it's interesting you brought up though the appearance of ghosts because, I mean. You know, when people talk about personal experiences and seeing apparitions and things like that, I've always found it. A lot of people are so, you know, like I'm a skeptic, and you know what I and I always think, you know, a lot of people like to say they're skeptics. But, you know, if, if I was truly, you know, that hardcore skeptic, I wouldn't be a ghost hunter at all. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. you know, I don't go I don't believe in hamburgers. But I eat them every day. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, you know, it's like and my thing has always been like. If we're going, if you know, if I'm going to have someone tell me a ghost story, my first instinct is to believe them. You know, I might later poke some holes in it, 
But if you're telling me a ghost story, I'm going to take you at your word as much as I can, you know, at, at least initially. And if we're to believe, you know, the ghost reports that are out there, obviously ghosts have the ability to look however they want to. You know, why, why do we have people who die in their 80s, but their spirits look like they're 20? Mm-hmm. Uh, why do we have ghosts that appear in multiple spots? Abraham Lincoln's ghost has been seen in like eight different places and in and in different stages of his life. So, I mean, not only can they travel around apparently, but can look however they want to at the moment, you know? Yeah. And I, I sometimes wonder if our own consciousness has something to do with that as well, because we don't, we, we look at something, we don't see people just walking around nude all day or in their underwear. And, and how often when we see the ghosts, it's like that question of do ghosts wear underwear? And you see like ghosts in clothing. What's the point of clothing if you are some, you know, piece of consciousness or some ethereal mist floating around? I feel like it's still part of our consciousness, how we see things and interpret things and experience the world around us. We still experience the ghost world, you know, through our our the way we look at our world, if that makes any sense. Uh. Uh, I mean, just to, I mean, another trippy idea, too, is just ascension of ascension, ascension of consciousness uh, where we're at right now and talking on this podcast. If it's just one ring in the ladder we go to and you carry your consciousness through each one of these different rings on the ladder. So we leave this this existence. We and I've, there's this has been documented, too. It's an interesting idea. Uh, we go to the next whatever it might be that we're, we wonder about at great length on podcasts like this. Uh, and maybe after that you go somewhere else. Maybe you live another life somewhere else, uh, you know, and, and you die in that life like we kind of die in this life. But you take that consciousness every ring of the ladder and I guess you're, you gain more experience as you go along. That's just another idea. Now we're tripping out hard. We're tripping it's out like... hard here. <laughs> well, I, I guess I've been thinking more basic. You know, I always think uh, that maybe, you know, because a lot of the whole idea of ghosts anyway is sort of based around this weird version of cosmic denial. Like mm-hmm. they, they don't want to admit they're dead kind right. of thing. So they're sticking around. Yep. Yeah. And I, you know, to me, it's just part of the whole cosmic denial that they would appear as the way they sort of envision themselves ideally, you know, yeah. which would be, you know, why the 80 year old woman who comes back still sees herself as the gorgeous 20 year olds that wore her Victorian era gowns around the house, you know, exactly. It's I, and I I think too, it's like my my grandma's eighty nine, and every mm. once in a while if I take a picture of her and she wants to see it she's like God I look I look that old, like even in her own mind now at eighty nine she doesn't feel like when she looks in the mirror that she looks that old, and so even you know your perception of yourself while you're living is still like oh God like I think we all like to think we look younger than we do until we see a photo but. It's well, that's just... how you look at yourself through your eyes. I mean, I mean, I mean, if you're looking at yourself through the mirror, I think it's that real time transmission you're getting, and your eyes, dare I say, wow. kind of bullshit you. A I little think bit. they do because then I see a, <laughs> I see a camera, and I was like, God, what? Yeah, yeah. I don't see that every. What? When you when you get a photo, it's unfiltered. Dang it's just, it. it's you, you, yeah, my brain's not processing that. Well, you can also <laughs> you know, you can also get the right pose. You know, you get oh, this is my good side. This is my yeah, that's side. why we need filters now. Yeah, well, yeah, really, that's why. Uh, I mean, we we filter. We <laughs> makes we take us happy. we take pictures with our with our handheld devices, and we we immediately filter them. <laughs> yes. Uh, one of the other locations I wanted to mention, uh, I was the Lemp Mansion in St. Louis, and this is a place that we have never gone, Scott, and we should. 
because every year when we go to Troy Taylor's event, yeah, the Haunted right America there, Conference, basically they right do there. a Lemp Mansion tour. And yeah. so we have to go there. But I noticed in the book that it was kind of one of these spots that was close to your heart. And I'm wondering if you can just like enlighten us a little bit on the Lemp Mansion. Well, I was born and raised in St. Louis. So like I've been hearing about the haunted craziness of the Lemp Mansion like my whole life. Okay. And the, the reputation of Limp in St. Louis, I mean, it's very well known. It's a very well known haunted place. Um, but they have a very real, like we, like uh, you were talking about having that great, wondrous uh, history that you can look back and it's mm-hmm. all fact. Yeah. You know, yeah. man, you talk about dark, factual history. I mean, the, the folks at Limp Mansion, you know, you're talking the guy who William Limp, when he created Limp Beer there, he ended up committing suicide in the mansion. His son, William Jr. Bill, committed suicide there in the mansion. Another son named Charles committed suicide right there in the mansion. His wife ended up uh, dying of of a suicide or possibly a murder. Another home away, though her spirit is seen in the Limp Mansion. Um, And on and on and on of real events that have happened there that are just so dark and twisted. There's this whole through line of an, an illegitimate son that was born there that apparently just disappears off the records. They have no record of, of his death or even like where he went or what happened to him. But one of the local investigators there, she refers to not very flatteringly to this entity as the monkey face boy. <laughs> but <laughs> apparently he was not only illegitimate, but he was sort of born with uh, some disfigurement. Aww. And so uh, the proposed father was probably William Jr. Billy Limp uh, would keep him locked away in one of the attic rooms kind of away from everyone and uh, to, you know to, that kind of thing until and he yeah. apparently it died up there but a lot of the spirit uh, encounters people have at Limp Mansion is with this so-called monkey face boy they don't really have a name for him so he gets that unfortunate moniker um, but I've stayed there many times and had so many experiences staying in the different suites and hearing, you know, voices, having things mess with me in my sleep, seeing uh, this is one of the places I was talking about that with the Japanese folks, we saw a door to the lavender suite open in real time on camera with no one standing there. Um, and then a glowing ball of light just flowed into the room and hover at the foot of the bed. Like it was watching this guy sleeping. Oh, that so was in bed. That's so wild. Mm. Wild. And hey, you guys are from Detroit, so you'll appreciate this. My first thought when I saw a glowing ball of light floating in the room and it was a light, not an orb, was, oh my God, somebody's broken the house and they're robbing us. (laughs) (laughs) This is downtown St. Louis. Right. You know, that can be a problem. You guys, come on, you you run pretty close to Detroit down there. I've been through St. Louis before. That's right. I'm thinking, man, did one of the crew leave the door open and now there's, you know, we got. Somebody in here stealing everything. So me and the producer, we run down the hall downstairs to this room. And when we get to the room, we can see the door is open. By the time we get to the room and uh, the light is gone and there's no one there. And I turn in this hallway, look at the producer and I say, well, you know, if there would have been a, you know, somebody in here stealing stuff, it'd have been scarier than a ghost. And in thin air between us, which is probably two foot gap, a fork falls out of nothing and falls on the floor between us. Ooh, love it. Uh, yes. 
It's just so random. Yeah, just again, random. Again, like the toothpaste earlier. Yeah. This is just a fork. Well, it's subtle, too. You know? It's subtle. I mean, better a fork than like a knife. That'd be more menacing. Like, ooh. But yeah, it just flies yeah, right, just, flies oh. right by you full speed, blade blade at you. Yeah, that that be yeah. No, that that would be yeah, terrible. Yeah, so crazy. Just like it fell out of thin air, just like right over our head. It just falls on the floor between us, mm-hmm. and he and I both looked down. And these guys are funny anyway because they take the supernatural very seriously. Mm-hmm. And anytime something starts actually happening at any of these places, I mean, they just go pale. Several of them have to leave the hotel and go outside to get their breath. Like, I mean, they really get frightened at this stuff. Japanese ghost stories are kind of intense. If you look back into Japanese mythology and stuff, they're like some, there's some freaky stuff going on. Plus, I think they have more of that, rev- like, I don't know, reverence for ancestors than we do maybe in the U.S. with just everyday people. Um and I, I don't know. That's one of those things that we should do a show on, on Japanese, Japanese ghosts. Because it's, yeah, it's really, it gets weird. Oh, oh for sure. One. And it, you're, and you hit it right on the head. It's that it's the, uh, even though a lot of the younger generations, uh, they don't really follow Shintoism anymore. Yeah. But that, but the, but the effect of Shintoism, especially of having the home altar and revering your relatives. And at certain times of the year, they'll actually, you know, the veil is thinner and they kind of come and communicate with everyone to let them know that everything's cool kind of thing. Um, it's so driven into their brains that, you know, you're right. They're just, they're so more open to everything happening, Mm -hmm. but when it does happen, they also take it so much more seriously, you know, than everyone else does too. Yeah. No, I love that. Scott, were you going to say something? Well, the Lemp Mansion we just talked about, would that be a place that you'd like go? I mean, it sounds like, have you made repeat visits to that place? Have I made what? Repeat visits to the Lemp Mansion. Oh, for sure. I've been there at least a dozen times. And that's, yeah. It's one of my favorite places to go just because it's in a great spot in downtown St. Louis. And you can go in and it's, you know, it's it's a Victorian, you know, mansion anyway. And they have this great restaurant downstairs and this little cocktail lounge that still looks like it's like from the 1800s. Mm-hmm. And then the rooms are all upstairs. So you can go there and eat and hang out in the little cocktail lounge. And then when they close down the restaurant, you go upstairs and you're staying in, you know, one of the limp family suites, you oh, know, wow. where either Billy slept or Charles slept or the lavender lady suites, you know, kind of thing. So it's a great like one stop, like hang out with some friends and, have a drink and maybe do some light ghost hunting kind of thing. Very cool. Now, obviously we've talked about ghosts for the last hour here and nearly, right? Um, you know, and we, we mentioned, you know, we mentioned earlier, there's a lot of stuff. I, I say this a lot nowadays. There's a lot that I put under the, the umbrella that we call the paranormal, right? Um, you know, and I, um, one thing I've said, you know, if I had to just, and this is no, shot to anything here if i had to just study ghosts under the um umbrella of the paranormal all these years i probably would have quit a long time ago because i mean it's really cool it's very interesting stuff but you can burn yourself out i think um and i'm just wondering if you know is there are there anything other stuff under this umbrella we call the paranormal that intrigues you and kind of keeps your interest in the topic i mean not that and i should be clear i mean some people and that's why like i'm like we're talking about the lamp mansion uh, it's one of those things, you know, I've always said I've always been, a, you know, a jack of all trades, master of none in this field, which nobody's really a master anyways. But I, I've 
And with the podcast, especially, I've talked to a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds. <clears throat> so that that's what keeps my interest, right? I'm wondering what, what keeps your interest in the topic all these years and keeps you writing. Well, for sure, everything's been, you're right, has been pretty ghost-centric for me so yeah, far, yeah. Uh, at least on the writing front. But, I, you know, like I say, I, you know, I grew up watching, you know, sightings and, yeah. you know, unexplained mysteries. And so I dig all the stuff. And I was in the Army for eight years. And I actually, while I was stationed in Vilsack, Germany, mm-hmm. um, when I was brand new, just got there, so I was still a private, um, my first NCO uh, had a Humvee that was called Area 51. Hmm. <laughs> and he had actually been stationed out there on the Air Force Base for something like six years or something like that. And when he was so caught up in the whole Area 51 phenomenon, you know, and he would tell me stories, you know, about, you know, whenever he was out there and all the weird things they had seen and how strict the rules are on that Air Force Base. I mean, they have you know, lines painted in the concrete, you know, if your security clearance, you know, isn't a certain level, you can't even go across that line on the pavement or you'll get arrested kind of thing. Wow. And that really fired me up, you know, as far as like the UFO stuff goes. And uh, there's a lot of military people that have some great UFO, you know, stories and stuff like that. Well, and and since 2017, when the New York Times busted out their story on uh, the government's uh, programs that they've had, like basically Blue Book, now it's ASAP, ATIP, all these different acronyms. Disclosure. Um, disclosure, it's, you know, slowly happening. But it's really UFOs, UFO. I, some, okay, wait, I have to side note. Someone said they hate when people say UFOs, plural, because it's technically unidentified objects already. And I cannot stop myself from saying UFOs now. I still, I'm like, or just saying UFO. <laughs> Side note, anyway. UFIs? Well, I mean, wait, I, I well you just say you UFO, because whatever. But I don't, side note, whatever. That's just how my thought works. So <laughs> I, I've become extremely interested in the topic, especially after having a couple sightings of my own. But I have found, and, and this is something we talk about on the show a lot, that a lot of the stuff in the paranormal intersects when it comes to ghosts, UFO topics, <laughs> uh, cryptozoology, anything. And you, and we've had, we've had discussions about places like Skinwalker Ranch before where you have everything happening. You got like Bigfoot, you got monsters, you got UFO stuff happening. Uh, people are seeing ghosts, uh, poltergeist phenomena, everything. And mm-hmm. I do feel to some degree that some of this might be all connected in a weird way. And, and oh, yeah. I think it's healthy for any, oh, yeah, any person in the paranormal to just go nuts and explore everything go crazy but yeah that would have been cool working there and speaking like to someone that actually worked in area 51 and kind of getting a, the vibe from that person how that that area was because it is so mysterious i love it i actually had a teacher um when i was in seventh and eighth grade and so this was in uh, scott city missouri and my my science teacher was a retiree from the navy and his name was dr kenneth aldrich and he and a local professor at Southeast Missouri State University by the name of Harvey Rutledge were actually chosen by the Air Force to work on Project Blue Book in middle United States in the late 60s. Wow. And so Aldrich and Rutledge, you know, we would go to school early, me and my friends, because we were nerds about all this stuff. And we would go to school and he would get out slides of different UFO cases and things that him and uh, Rutledge had investigated over about six years and kind of harping about your story there, how things can overlap. Yeah. One of the most famous cases 
in Missouri, and you may have actually heard about it, is it's this creature known as Momo. Yeah, I love Momo. Yeah, quick, tell us right. about Momo. Well, tell people about Momo if you if you can. Well, and Momo, well, Momo basically looks like this feral Bigfoot because everyone always describes it as this giant hairy beast. Um, there was probably like forty sightings of it in like four days, so it was kind of rampaging, you know, through this area of Missouri and. Some of the reports say it would be like carrying a dead dog or it would be eating on an animal while it was walking. So, um, but at least two reports claimed that they saw UFOs just prior to the Momo sightings. And so a lot of people believe that the Momo, which was short for Missouri monster, um, was actually an alien. It had come by like a UFO and it was just on this like feeding rampage and then it flew back off again. Um, and Harvey Rutledge and Kenneth Aldrich had investigated this case as part of Project Blue Book, and it came back with all these crazy UFO photos and videos and stuff because of this flap of sightings that were happening at Piedmont Dam. And so ultimately, it was sort of chalked off that this creature could have been involved with UFOs seen at Piedmont Dam. Oh, I love it. I love stuff like that. And I love that it got its little nickname, like Momo from Missouri Monster. It's just, it's like a cute name. It made me think like we should have named our kitten Momo. <laughs> that would have been a good that would have been a good paranormal name, Momo. Um, I and I love and you're and those were your teachers. That yeah, and they were uh, sitting there just showing kids like you guys like hey here's some cool slides from like our paranormal investigations. Absolutely, oh. yeah. I mean, who's funny? He he was a great dude because he had even been like I said he was retired from the Navy. And he was involved with, uh, I think it was was an Admiral Byrd who had had all the big uh, trips to the South yep. Pole. Yep, yep, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, and yep. he had been involved with all those expeditions and stuff like that uh, at a young age. And so he was a really cool dude. He's gone now, but I'd, I'd love to have all the research that he and uh, Dr. Rutledge had done on Project Blue Book for sure. Ah, uh, so much fun, Rich. I want to thank you. We want to thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us tonight. Um, had an absolute riot and loved it. Would love to have have you back on down the road. Have you come what, next time? I mean, what's in the future for you? Let's talk about that yeah. for a second. We should talk about that. What do you got coming up down the road? Are, are you working on anything new? I am working on um, another book that's called The Disembodied. It's about a haunted family in Missouri who's had three generations of craziness happen oh. um, that's still going on right now. And so I'm kind of still documenting and catching up with everything. Mm-hmm. But it's a pretty horrifying you know, story. I think everyone's going to dig it. Um, it's probably the first book I'm actually writing that's going to actually be scary. Kind <laughs> of come off as almost like a horror novel. Where can we find um, you? At? Where can we find you at on the on the on the web? Uh, well, my website's richnewman.us, and you can pretty much keep up with everything that's happening there. And um, as far as like my Amazon page and Llewellyn page, those are there too. Excellent. Yay, and we'll have everything linked up on our site if you want to head over to ghostlytalk.com. Yeah, we'll have it all and there. And check out our Rich Newman page, and you can easily click on links to Amazon and his website and social media and all that good stuff. Rich, thank you again so much. We really mean it. This has been fantastic, and we'd love to talk to you again. Hey, man, anytime. It was great. Ghostly Talk! <laughs> 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 <laughs>